0: Hey, thanks for stopping in to the Paranormal Factor podcast. Glad you could stop by. We have a great new episode for you where we encounter one of the biggest UFO cases in history. Before we start, though, let me remind you to visit our Facebook page where you're going to find monsters, quizzes, film, TV, book recommendations, and the latest current paranormal news in the world. Every week has new content just for you. Now, on to our episode. Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, Deputy Base Commander at RAF Bentwaters in the UK, went out with personnel from the base on the second night of the sightings of the Rendlesham Forest UFO. Knowing he'd likely have little time or light in the dark forest to stop and take written notes, he brought a microcassette tape recorder and recorded the events. The following is part of the recording from that night. Uh, 244, we're at the far side of the, sh- the second farmer's field and late sighting again about 110 degrees. This looks like it's clear off to the coast. It's right on the horizon. Moves about a bit and flashes from time to time. Still steady or red, in color. Also, after negative readings in the satellite field, we're picking up the slight readings. Uh, four or five clicks now on the meter. 305, we see strange uh, strobe like flashes to the uh, something, there, uh, some kind of phenomena. Yeah. 305, at about uh, 10 degrees horizon, uh, directly north, we've got two strange objects, a uh, half-moon shape, dancing about with colored lights on them, but uh gets to be about 5 to 10 miles out, maybe less. The half-moons have now turned into full circles, There's I know there was a eclipse or something there for a minute or two. Mm-hmm. So 315, now we've got an object. 10 degrees directly south, 10 degrees off the horizon. And the ones in the north are moving, ones moving away from us. Moving not fast. This one on the right, away too. Yeah, we're both heading north. Hey, here, here he comes from the south. He's coming toward us now. Now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down to the ground. and the objects are still in the sky. Although the one to the south looks like it's losing a little bit of altitude, we're turning around, heading back toward the the base. The object object to the south is still beaming down lights to the ground. 0400 hours, one object still hovering over Woodbridge Base at about five to ten degrees off the horizon, still moving erratic and similar lights and beaming down. The Rendlesham Forest incident was a series of reported sightings of unexplained lights near Rendlesham Forest in Suffolk, England in late December of 1980, which became linked with claims of UFO landings, actual craft, and possibly alien beings. The events occurred just outside RAF Woodbridge and RAF Bentwaters, which were both used at the time by the United States Air Force. Air Force personnel, including Deputy Base Commander Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, claimed to see things they described as a UFO sighting. The occurrence is the most famous of claimed UFO events to have happened in the United Kingdom and is among the best-known reported UFO events worldwide. It has been compared to the Roswell UFO incident in the United States and it's sometimes referred to as Britain's Roswell. This is one of the most important UFO cases in history due to the large number of eyewitnesses who were professional military personnel. They were well-trained and observant. And being United States Air Force, the base personnel were quite knowledgeable in recognizing aircraft and aircraft lights at night. Imagine alien spacecraft drifting through the woods on the perimeter of a U.S. Air Force Base in England, shining their colored lights around in plain view of pursuing military security personnel for three nights in a row. And how did the United Kingdom and the United States react to this obvious threat to the nuclear arms contained at the bases? Well, they didn't. It's no wonder the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident is one ufologists consider very frightening. The sightings began in December 1980 when three US military personnel spotted lights above Rendlesham Forest in Suffolk, United Kingdom and described a triangular craft that had landed. But the encounter didn't stop there. With witnesses claiming the unidentified flying objects returned the following night but let's start at the beginning so first let's set the scene for you and lay out the general surrounding area rendlesham forest is owned by the forestry commission and consists of about 5.8 square miles of coniferous plantations interspersed with broad-leaved belts heathland and wetland areas. It's located in the county of Suffolk, about eight miles east of the town of Ipswich. The incident occurred in late 1980 in the vicinity of two military bases, RAF Bentwaters, which is just to the north of the forest, and RAF Woodbridge, which extends into the forest from the west and is bordered by the forest on its northern and eastern edges. At the time, both were being used by the United States Air Force and were under the command of Wing Commander Colonel Gordon E. Williams. The base commander was Colonel Ted Conrad, and his deputy was Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt. While never officially confirmed at the time, RAF Bentwaters was well known to be a storage base for American tactical nuclear weapons. Tactical nukes were prevalent in several European nations since the Cold War was still going on, and a defense of Europe was still deemed necessary. The main events of the incident, including the supposed landing or landings, took place in the forest, which starts at the east end of the base runway and to the east of the east gate of RAF Woodbridge. It was from this location on the base that base security guards first noticed mysterious lights appearing to descend into the forest. The forest extends east about one mile beyond the east gate, ending at a farmer's field at Capel Green, where additional events allegedly took place the orfordness lighthouse which skeptics identify as the flashing light seen off the coast by the airmen, is along the same line of sight about five miles further east of the forest's edge at that time it was one of the brightest lighthouses in the uk former airman first class john burroughs stated the events took place over three consecutive nights from evening into early morning while lights were seen in the area by local residents on various nights It is the first and last nights that involved sightings and encounters by U.S. Air Force personnel. The first night, December 25th through the 26th. The first night of significance in the Rendlesham Forest incident occurred on December 25th into December 26th, and here are the major events. Two old Royal Air Force airfields, RAF Bentwaters and RAF Woodbridge, are situated just two miles apart near the eastern coast of England. Throughout the Cold War, they were operated by the United States Air Force. On the night of Christmas Day, December the 25th, 1980, personnel at the base reported bright UFOs streaking through the sky. Around 3 a.m. on 26 December, strange lights were reported by a security patrol near the east gate of RAF Woodbridge, apparently descending into nearby Rendlesham Forest. Servicemen initially thought it was a downed aircraft. Later that night, in the early hours of December 26, members of the 81st Security Police Squadron from RAF Woodbridge entered Rendlesham Forest to investigate strange, pulsating colored lights moving through the trees. Shortly after 4 a.m., local police were called to the scene but reported the only lights they could see were those from the Orfordness Lighthouse, some miles away on the coast. Two members of the United States Air Force Security Team, Airman First Class John Burroughs and Staff Sergeant Jim Penniston were sent to investigate the suspected crash civilian aircraft, but instead, to their shock, encountered an unknown craft which had apparently landed in a small clearing in Rendlesham Forest between the twin bases. Base personnel described the craft they pursued as metal and conical, with a bright red light above and a circle of blue lights below and suspended in a yellow mist. Penniston got close enough to see strange hieroglyphic symbols on the hull, and even touched it. At some point, the craft rose slowly above the trees, and then accelerated away at high speed. One of the men asked to investigate the strange lights coming from the forest that night, Airman John Burroughs, said in a witness statement published in 1981, The woods lit up, and you could hear the farm animals making a lot of noises, and you could see the lights down by a farmer's house on the forest's edge. We climbed over the fence and started walking toward the red and blue lights and they just disappeared. By daylight, they located a clearing where they thought the strangely lit craft had sat down and they found three depressions in the ground in a triangular pattern. Local police constables were called in again and photographed the purported landing site area confirming depressions at the site. A subsequent analysis of the landing site showed indentations in the ground forming the shape of a triangle scorch marks on the sides of trees, and broken branches. Radiation levels were also observed, which scientific staff at the UK's Ministry of Defense assessed as being significantly higher than the average background. It was later discovered the UFO was also briefly tracked on military radar at incredible speeds. Staff Sergeant Penniston later described the craft he saw as covered in hieroglyphic-like characters he further reported, I estimated it to be about 3 meters tall and about 3 meters wide at the base. No landing gear was apparent, but it did seem like she was on fixed legs. I moved a little closer. I walked around the craft, and finally I walked right up to the craft. I noticed the fabric of the shell was more like a, a smooth, opaque black glass. Further statements from eyewitnesses were also made on 26 December. Fred Burren of the 81st Security Police Squadron reported the witnesses were unnerved by their experience and believed that they had witnessed something, as Burren expressed it, out of the realm of explanation. Colonel Ted Conrad, the base commander, recalled five Air Force security policemen spotted lights from what they thought was a small plane descending into the forest. Two of the men tracked the object on foot and came upon a large tripod mounted craft. It had no windows but was studded with brilliant red and blue lights. Each time the men came within 50 yards of the ship, Conrad related, it levitated six feet into the air and backed away. They followed it for almost an hour through the woods and across a field until it took off at phenomenal speed. Acting on the reports made by his men, Colonel Conrad began a brief investigation of the incident in the morning. He went into the forest and located a triangular pattern ostensibly made by the tripod legs. He interviewed two of the eyewitnesses, and he concluded, Those lads saw something, but I don't know what it was. Nick Pope, who was a Ministry of Defense employee from 1985 to 2006, and who wrote a book titled Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, The Inside Story of the World's Best Documented UFO Incident, described the incident with the following words, This was not some vague lights-in-the-sky sighting. The UFO actually landed. Two nights later, in the early hours of December 28th, base personnel would return to the site led by Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, second in command at the base, and things would get very strange indeed. After the first night, the encounters didn't stop. Witnesses claimed the unidentified flying objects returned the following two nights, December the 27th and 28th. Several servicemen and the deputy base commander, Lt. Col. Charles Halt, would return to the site and find that what had previously happened was just the beginning. Halt investigated this sighting personally and recorded the events on a micro cassette recorder. The site investigated by Halt was near the eastern edge of the forest. It was during this investigation that a flashing light was seen across the field to the east, almost in line with a farmhouse. The Orfordness Lighthouse is visible, further to the east in the same line of sight. Later, star-like lights were seen in the sky to the north and south, the brightest of which seemed to beam down a stream of light from time to time. Deputy Base Commander Lt. Col. Charles Halt was at a function at RAF Woodbridge on 27 December when a security police officer came in to report the strange lights from the 25th and 26th had returned. Two nights after the first reported incident, Lt. Col. Halt was ready. Known as a pragmatic person, Halt set out to disprove the wild theories making the rounds at the two RAF bases. Halt took his microcassette tape recorder and joined a military patrol group. The group also brought radiation detectors, which later detected radiation in the depressions from the previous sighting and on the near side of a tree. Instead of stopping to take written notes, Halt made use of the tape recorder to provide an ongoing description of what was happening. During the recording, in which he mentions objects and lights in the sky, as well as a red orb floating near the ground, Colonel Halt says, It looks like an eye winking at you. Here he comes from the south. He's coming toward us now. Now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down to the ground. This is unreal. The recording, is considered today to be one of the most valuable pieces of evidence from the Rendlesham Forest incident I saw something glowing, a red orangey object, it was displacing sparks or molten metal Halt told Channel 9 News from Sydney, Australia. We watched it for a period of time and then it silently exploded into white objects, sort of like fireworks, and then they disappeared When he saw the lights again they were moving to a grid-like search Halt said He doesn't know what he saw that night, but Lieutenant Colonel Halt is clear on one thing. The craft was under intelligent control. When we saw the object, we were in the forest, he said. The glowing object came into the forest, moved through the trees, obviously avoiding the trees, occasionally bobbing up and down, but primarily moving horizontally. When we tried to approach, it moved back out into the field and exploded. My personal feeling is that it was from another dimension or from somewhere else. I've wanted answers all along, but I'm firmly convinced I'm not going to get them. There are two key artifacts from this case. Both involve Lt. Col. Charles Halt. The first is known as the Halt Memo. This piece of primary evidence was made available to the public from a memorandum written by Lt. Col. Halt to the British Ministry of Defense. Known as the HALT Memo, this was made publicly available in the United States under the U.S. Freedom of Information Act in 1983. The memorandum was dated 13 January 1981 under the title Unexplained Lights. David Clark, a consultant to the National Archives, has investigated the background of this memo and the reaction to it at the British Ministry of Defense. His interviews with the personnel involved confirmed the cursory nature of the investigation made by the Ministry of Defense and failed to find any evidence for any other reports on the incident made by the U.S. Air Force or U.K.'s departments apart from the Halt Memo. The second piece of evidence is known as the Halt Tape. It is a tape recording Halt made during the event. In 1984, a copy of this tape, known as the Halt Tape, was released to UFO researchers by Colonel Sam Morgan, who had by then succeeded Ted Conrad as Halt's superior. This tape chronicles Halt's investigation in the forest in real time, including taking radiation readings, the sighting of the flashing light between trees, and the starlight objects that hovered and twinkled. The last item to mention during the three-day event is the report of a related encounter with aliens, Larry Warren was stationed with the U.S. Air Force at RAF Bentwaters near Rindlesham Forest in Suffolk. Warren's account is that on December the 28th, he was on guard duty when he was taken by truck to join other Air Force security police personnel to assist with the UFO investigation. Warren has detailed how the group watched a glowing domed object in which they could see the shadows of figures moving about. It is then that he claimed to see a landed triangular craft and small alien beings nearby before he and other men were ordered to cover up the incident. He has maintained the story for decades. In late 2017, Warren reportedly took a lie detector test challenging his insistence he saw alien beings floating beneath a triangular craft during the bizarre encounter. Warren, who is the author of the 1997 book Left at Eastgate, a firsthand account of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, its cover-up and investigation, passed the test easily, according to Gary Heseltine, editor of UFO Truth magazine and a former police detective. He undertook the test where he was questioned about his involvement, along with many other questions about his general honesty and integrity. I can now reveal that Larry Warren has successfully passed the test on all counts, Heseltine stated. It's now time to take a look at what the skeptics have to say about this case. And as usual, they have a lot to say. Well, there are considerable skeptical views of what happened at Rendlesham Forest. Many believe the case can be easily explained. As science writer and UFO skeptic Ian Ridpath explains, on the night of the incident, the British Astronomical Association Meteor Section reported that an exceptionally brilliant meteor, termed a fireball by astronomers, was seen over southern England. It is known that this fireball is most likely what they saw and that nothing landed in Rendlesham Forest, Ridpath explained. Some skeptics have also suggested the lights seen in the sky may have been bright stars distorted by atmospheric and optical effects, a common source of UFO reports. According to the witness statements from 26 December, the flashing light seen from the forest lay in the same direction as the nearby Orfordness lighthouse. Ridpath also asked local forester Vince Turkettle about the flashing light. He indicated it originated from the lighthouse at Orfordness nearby. As seen from the forest edge, the flashing light appears to hover slightly above the ground and would appear to move as the witnesses moved between the trees. Timings on Halt's audio tape also suggest that the light he saw flashed every five seconds. That's the same flash rate as the lighthouse. Regarding the landing pod indentations, Forrester Turkettle saw the alleged landing marks, as did the local police, and believed them simply to be old rabbit diggings covered with pine needles moreover the supposed burn marks in the trees were actually axe cuts made by foresters that indicated the trees were ready to be felled nothing came down in rendlesham forests concludes ridpath yet daniel simpson director of the film the rendlesham ufo incident told the british daily newspaper the telegraph the lighthouse theory is rubbish lighthouses don't fly down into forests split up into five different lights and zap off into space at Mach 3. They don't move through the trees and get mistaken by up to 20 witnesses from the United States Air Force. Admiral Lord Hill Norton argued that an incident like this at a nuclear weapons base was necessarily of national security interest. Lord Hill Norton was a retired five-star admiral, who was a former chairman of NATO's military committee, a UK post-equivalent to the US post of Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Commenting on the Ministry of Defense's No Defense Significance line on the Rendlesham Forest incident, Lord Hill Norton said, My position, both privately and publicly, expressed over the last dozen years or more, is that there are only two possibilities. Either a an intrusion into our airspace and a landing by unidentified craft took place at Rendlesham as described or B, the deputy commander of an operational, nuclear-armed U.S. Air Force base in England and a large number of his enlisted men were either hallucinating or lying. Either of these simply must be of interest to the Ministry of Defense, which has been repeatedly denied in precisely those terms. In the book Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, Sergeant Jim Penniston wrote, I left the forest a different man. I was in awe of the technology, and and yes, knowing that it was not an aircraft, which could have been manufactured in 1980, or even now, Penniston said. Both Penniston and Airman John Burroughs would later suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, the Telegraph reported in 2015. As recently as 2015, the then-75-year-old Colonel Halt announced he had obtained written statements from radar operators at RAF Bentwaters and nearby Wattisham Airfield that an unknown object was in fact tracked at the time of the incident. As per the BBC, Halt claimed they had not wanted to come forward until after they had retired from their military roles. I have confirmation that Bentwaters radar operators saw the object go across their 60 mile scope in two or three seconds, thousands of miles an hour. He came back across their scope again, stopped near the water tower. They watched it and observed it. Go into the forest right where we were," said Colonel Halt. Today the forest looks quite different. The great storm of 1987 with winds equivalent to a Category 3 hurricane caused extensive destruction of trees, and the Forestry Commission undertook a massive replanting program in its aftermath. Some of the locations associated with the supposed incident are still identifiable and the Forestry Commission have marked a trail, the UFO Trail, for walkers, which includes the principal locations such as the small clearing where the object allegedly landed. At the start of the UFO Trail, there's a large triangular-shaped metal information board. It features a map of the forest, clearly marking the UFO Trail, and gives a basic account of what happened in 1980, stating in part, During the evening of 26 December, a resident of Sudborn, a village approximately 10 kilometers to the northeast of Rendlesham Forest, reported a mysterious shape like an upturned mushroom in the sky above his garden. Later that night, two United States Air Force patrolmen at the east gate of RAF Woodbridge spotted unusual lights in the forest and were given permission to investigate. What they reported was very strange. Those supporting the eyewitness accounts say it is the witness documentation that is the impressive aspect of this story, mainly Colonel Halt's audio recording and signed memo. As some have noted, you don't rise to be deputy commander of a United States Air Force Base with nuclear weapons if you are anything less than of outstanding character. And when you are accompanied by local police constables and a number of Air Force security personnel who all file written reports, you don't exactly make up ridiculous stories. Nick Pope conducted a cold case review of the incident for the British government's Ministry of Defense. He provided the following summation in 2013. In the course of my cold case review of the Rendlesham Forest incident, I examined critically all the various theories that sought to explain the sightings in conventional terms, either as misidentification hoax or delusion the most likely conventional explanation of course was that the incident had involved a secret prototype aircraft or drone however none of the theories fitted the facts most people whatever their views on the ufo mystery have probably heard of the alleged crash of a ufo at roswell in the rendlesham forest incident we have a ufo incident more recent better documented and better evidenced than the events at Roswell, New Mexico. Well, next time on the podcast, it's one of the weirdest and creepiest cryptids out there, and it's said to live in the most desolate parts of the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. It's shaped like a large sausage tube, has no head or legs, has a monstrous mouth with sharp teeth, and is so poisonous, merely touching it means instant death. A giant worm having a blood-red color and described by many to be from two to seven feet long, it's said to have the ability to spit out a corrosive yellow saliva and also to apparently generate blasts of electricity. So lethal and horrifying is this cryptid, the mere mention of its native name, Algoi korkoy can strike terror. It's best known by its western name, the Mongolian Death Worm. But where does this legend originate? Have people actually encountered the Death Worm? How can you tell it's near and coming for you? And is there an explanation for this cryptid? Well, join us to find out next time on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. It is time for the quiz, so let's get right to it. Hat Man is said to wear what kind of hat? If you remember, Hatman is one of the shadow beings. Is it A, a cowboy hat? b a bowler c a fedora or d all of the above once again the shadow being hat man is said to wear what kind of hat is it a cowboy hat a bowler a fedora or all of the above and the answer is d all of the above The hat man, being a singularly distinctive character inside the broader shadow people category, is reported to have particular character traits, a more solid outline than most shadow people, and an especially notable visual marker, that hat he's always wearing. While he usually is seen wearing a fedora-style hat, so if that was your answer, I'll give you partial credit for it, he has also been seen in top hats, bowlers, and yes, even cowboy hats. In 2001, the subject of shadow people was first introduced to mainstream media via the radio show Coast to Coast AM. After the broadcast, many people sent in drawings of what they had seen and shared stories about their own experiences with shadow people. Author and strange encounter enthusiast Heidi Hollis noted in 2008 that there was a commonly seen shadow person she named Hat Man and people all over the world claimed to have been visited by him as well. No one expected so many people to have experiences with Hat Man or Shadow People for that matter, but the similarity of people's stories has given the creepy dark man with the hat a lot of notoriety and more credibility with many people of an actual shadow being existing. The Hat Man is said to be an evil, even demonic entity, and is placed in the category of paranormal phenomena referred to as shadow people. The hat man acts like a ghost and is almost always seen silently watching, eerily just standing there. This entity sometimes simply fades until the witness no longer sees it. But others have reported he doesn't vanish. He simply walks away, as any normal person would. He often has no apparent reaction to people. For example, Many people reported bumping into this entity, which does absolutely nothing for seconds or minutes, then moves about a bit and just vanishes, as if it couldn't detect who saw it. Unlike a ghost, however, who might have visible facial features, the Hatman is a shadow in its entirety, utterly dark, with no facial details, only the shadow. And it is not always reported to be harmless. At the very least, he provokes a feeling of absolute terror on those seeing him. Many have reported feeling that the entity directly feeds on their fear and terror. This shadow being can have substance, and some people have even reported they actually touched it. So, what is Hatman actually? And what about true stories of encounters with Hatman? Well, for those details and more on Hatman, check out Season 2, Episode 28 of the Paranormal Factor Podcast. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual, folks, and thanks for stopping by.